And now I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be here and open up God's word with you today. As I've been preparing this passage, there's so many things that have stood out to me that I didn't see before. And there's so much history within this passage that on first reading you don't get. But as you dig deeper, it it just enhances all that's said. So today, as we go through uh, this passage in Zechariah, I hope to illuminate the history behind the scenes and make the story as rich and as amazing 
as it is. I'm just going to begin by praying. Father in heaven, I just thank you that we can be here together and sit under your word. Just ask that your spirit would come and convict us, speak to our hearts, help us to see the beauty of your plan. And I just ask you would help me to speak clearly and faithfully today. Amen. Have you ever waited a long time for something to happen? Something that you really want. But you wait so long that doubts start to creep in. Is it ever really going to happen? Maybe you order something online. Could be a new game, a new dress. In my case recently, a new variety of strawberry plant that's meant to be the best tasting in the world. You check the letterbox every day. How long do you wait before you start to get concerned? A few days, a few weeks, a few months, before you start to doubt, is it coming at all? What if you're waiting for a friend to meet up and go and see a movie? How long do you wait before you start to doubt if they're coming? Five minutes, 15, half an hour, I was invited to the movies a couple of weeks ago. I was seven minutes late. My friends doubted me and were inside already. But what about God and his promises? The return of Jesus. God's promise that there's going to be world peace. No more famine, no death or crying or pain. It's been 2,000 years that Christians have been waiting for Jesus to return, for God's promises to be fulfilled. How long should we wait? Should we be concerned? can feel like things are getting worse sometimes and not better. In the story we're looking at today in the Bible, it took place around 4 B.C., And I find many similarities to how we might feel today. The people of God were also waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Promises that were spoken in the prophets. Their ancestors uh, had been released from captivity in Babylon about 500 years earlier. And when their ancestors were released from Babylon 500 years ago, many thought, is this the time? Are God's promises about to be fulfilled? But generations came and generations went. 400 years went by since anyone had last heard from a prophet. And things in Israel, they seemed to get better and, uh, sorry, seemed to get worse, much worse and not better. I'm sure many wondered back then, as we might feel now. Should we be concerned? How long should we wait? Will God's promises be fulfilled? Please, if your Bibles aren't open at Luke chapter 1, open them now to to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start in this passage today, which I think answers many of these questions. Now, the first few verses are is an introduction not just to this passage, but to the whole gospel of Luke. Please read with me verse 1 to 4. 
Many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. We find out this whole gospel that was written, the gospel of Luke, its purpose is that we might have certainty about the things that have been taught. Now he says in verse 2 there, he wrote down things that, were, that he heard from the first eyewitnesses and servants. The things that are written down in the Gospel of Luke, they're not myth. They're not legend. It's not a story that's been changed over time. No, they came from the original eyewitnesses. Christianity and the Gospel of Jesus, it's not like any other religion in the world These things didn't take place in a cave where just one person heard them. These things are not some ancient writings that we don't know where the source is from. No, these things are events that were recorded in history. And Luke says that he investigated everything from the beginning. He cross-checked these accounts. If something didn't add up, if someone's story contradicted someone's else, then he got to the bottom of it. it. It wouldn't make it in. What we have in the Gospel of Luke is an account from eyewitnesses that's been cross-checked. I love how the historian John Dixon puts it. He says, Christianity is the only religion in the world that can put its head on the chopping block of history and say, take a swing. These things add up with what we know of history. We can trust what's written here. They're written to give us confidence of the things we believe. That's our introduction to the book of Luke. And now we're about to get into the very first event that Luke felt important to write about. Where does the gospel of Jesus start? Well, it starts... In the next verse, please read with me verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Now that first line there, in the time of Herod, king of Judah, if you were familiar with Herod, king of Judah... If you were alive when this was first written, then immediately that put dark images into your mind. A historical context it gives us, uh, King Herod of Judah was ruling from 37 BC to 4 BC, and in the time of his rule, he was an awful, ruthless king. He had one of his wives executed three of his own sons executed. When he was on his deathbed, one of his last dying wishes was that uh, a number of of, uh, his officials that he didn't like were to be executed on his death. And of course, in the Gospels, 
we see he had all the infant boys killed in his area when he heard that a king, that is Jesus, had been born. He was a monster of a king. And it was a dark, dark time to live. The the Jewish people were waiting for their great king to come in the line of David. And they currently have an awful monster of a king who's been put there by the Romans. It was a time where there'd been much civil war and much bloodshed. God's people were waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. They'd not heard from a prophet in 400 years. I imagine it was a discouraging time. And it's in this context, it's in this dark period, where we're told about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Please read with me verse 6 and 7. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. We are introduced to an old, faithful couple. We're told they were righteous in the sight of God. Now, that doesn't mean that they'd lived a life of perfection, but it's telling us they were faithful people. When it says they were blameless, they respected in the community and they'd felt the pain of not being able to have children. And now they were past the age where it was possible to have children. Now, you might be here today and personally feel that pain of not being able to have children, and it's a painful thing. And in these times, that pain and grief was felt even worse as others looked down on them for not being able to have children. In the community back then, it was often viewed as a judgment for some sin you might have had, something that brought shame on you. But yet, They were still an old, faithful couple serving the Lord. But something is about to change for Elizabeth and Zechariah. Something amazing that they will never forget in their life. Please read with me verse 8 to 10. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Now, it can be easy to miss the significance of this. I know when I first read it, I did. Because if you're not familiar with the priests in Israel at this time, you might think, nothing out of the ordinary here. We just got a, a priest doing his usual priest thing. Uh, He's burning incense. Just another day in the office for Zechariah. But that is not the case. You see, there were about 2,000 priests in Israel at the time, and they were divided up into divisions. And each division only served in the temple on two weeks out of every year. So Zechariah serving in the temple, it's not something he did every day. Uh, It was just something that happened two weeks out of every year. But because there's such a large number of priests, you see, they cast a lot to see who was going to burn the incense in the temple. 
And the chance of the lot landing on you was a once-in-a-lifetime event. Because of the number of priests, it's not even something everyone got to do in their lifetime. But today, Zechariah has been chosen. He's been a priest serving in the temple his whole life, now in his old age. His day has come to burn incense in the temple. He goes inside the temple. I imagine that it was an exciting time and experience for him, a once-in-a-lifetime event. He starts offering prayers on behalf of the people. And then something happens. Suddenly, Zechariah freezes where he is. All of a sudden, the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. He feels fear overtake his whole body. Have a look at verse 11 and 12 with me. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Zechariah wasn't expecting this. Last time an angel had appeared to someone, it was probably the ancient scriptures that Zechariah had read about to, uh, when an angel appeared to Daniel in Babylon. And when an angel appeared to Daniel in Babylon, he was talking about God's promises and them being fulfilled. And now, here is Zechariah, and that same angel, Gabriel, has appeared to him. This is amazing. What is this angel going to say? It's been 400 years, and now God has sent an angel to deliver a message to Zechariah. Well, what is this message? Please look with me at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, what is the prayer of Zechariah that's been answered? It could be a prayer for a child. Although, given Zechariah's response in just a moment, I don't think it was his prayer for a child. I think it was Zechariah's prayer when he was offering incense in the temple a prayer for the restoration of Israel. And God has answered that prayer. The time for the restoration of Israel has come. And the way God is going to answer that prayer is by giving Zechariah a son. John, this is amazing. And John means God's grace or God's favour. God's grace and God's favour in these dark times is about to come. Please read with me verse 14. The angel says, He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his faith, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Zechariah is told, Many will rejoice. Not just Zechariah and Elizabeth that never had the joy of having a child, but many, and, and not just uh, in his birth, but of his birth. 
This child is going to play such an important role in God's plans. People are going to look back and rejoice that John was born. This is amazing. We're told in verse 15, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He's going to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, a Nazarite vow was a vow people could take if they wanted to specially set themselves apart for God for a period of time. In the vow, uh, you're not allowed to drink any alcohol, not allowed to cut your hair, not allowed to be around any dead bodies. But John, he's going to be a Nazarite from his birth. Like other heroes in the Old Testament, Samuel was a Nazarite. Samson was a Nazarite from birth. This child, John, is going to be specially set apart to God from birth. This is amazing. We're told in verse 17, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We're told he's going to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, this is huge. And I want with you to turn with me in your Bible to Malachi chapter 4. Now, Malachi, if you don't know where that is, it's the last book of the Old Testament. If you go to the start of Matthew and just turn one page, you'll be in Malachi chapter 4. So Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. It said, the last book of the Old Testament, the the very end of the last book of the Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with destruction. God's people were waiting for Elijah to come back. This was one of the last promises about the start of the restoration of Israel. From this point on, when this happened, then everything else was going to start to be fulfilled. And the angel has just told John, sorry, just told Zechariah, your son John is going to be the start of these promises being fulfilled. John is going to be the Elijah that was spoken about. Now, he's not the physical person of Elijah, but he's going to come in the spirit of Elijah, with the power of Elijah. And in the same way, Elijah worked to to turn people back to God. So that too is going to be John's role. This is amazing. They had been waiting and now God has sent an angel. The promises of God are going to start to be fulfilled and it's going to happen in Zechariah's son, John. 
I love the way John Calvin describes this passage. He says, Luke very properly begins his gospel with John the Baptist. Just as a person who was going to speak about the daylight would commence with the dawn. For like the dawn, he went before the sun of righteousness, which was shortly to arise. John is the dawn that comes before the sunrise. God's promises are being fulfilled and it will start with John and be completely fulfilled in Jesus. Now, can you just imagine if you were Zechariah in this moment, how exciting this might be? The dawn has come. It's going to be through your son. Wouldn't it be great to see an angel like Zechariah did? Wouldn't it boost your confidence? Remove doubts or concerns. A message directly from God. A sign that was so real it made your whole body tremble. Well, how does Zechariah respond to this amazing thing which has just happened? Please look at verse 18 with me. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah, you just saw an angel. You were gripped with fear. It was so amazing. And yet you say, How can I be sure of this? This great sign Even with that, Zechariah still thought about our world, what seems impossible by human standards, and he has doubts, and he asks, how can I be sure of this? Well, how does the angel respond to that? Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Then we're told, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, He could not speak to them. They realised he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Because Zechariah did not believe, he wasn't able to speak or hear until John was born. He's got this wonderful news, received this amazing revelation. And when he comes out of the temple, he cannot tell people what it was. Uh, he cannot, when he returns home to his wife, he's not able to share about these amazing promises of his son until the day he is born. He is given a sign, but he's disciplined for doubting the promise of God. He cannot speak, he cannot hear. But, you know, Zechariah's doubt here and the discipline he receives. I think it has a lot 
to say to me? And I think it has a lot to say to us. I find it both challenging and encouraging that his doubt is recorded here in the Bible. We're told Zechariah was a righteous man, not just outward appearance, but in God's sight. But in this moment, he has a moment of doubt. He did trust that God's promises were going to come. He was praying for the restoration of Israel. But what he struggled with was to believe that it could come through Elizabeth having a child in her old age, that it could come through a son that he might have. Zechariah fell short in this moment. And I know there are many times in my life where I often don't trust God and his promises like I should too. I know there are many times in my life where I too fall short. Now, Zechariah, despite falling short, He's not going to miss out on God's plan for his life. Yes, there's a consequence. He is disciplined. But he's not going to miss out on these amazing promises. John is still going to be born. I love how the angel says, you are not going to be able to speak until this happens because you did not believe. My words, which will come true at their appointed time. His doubt doesn't stop God's promises. His doubt doesn't make him miss out on God's uh, plan for his life, but he is disciplined for it. And uh, I'm encouraged that even though he fell short, he'd still be able to be a part of God's plan. There's a rap artist that I listen to, a Christian rap artist. You may like or hate rap music. You may or may not have heard of Lecrae. But that doesn't matter. He has some great lyrics in his songs. And in one of his songs, he has a line that's a regular prayer of mine. He says, Lord, please use this crooked stick to draw straight lines. I myself am acutely aware of how much of a crooked stick I am. My imperfections, my brokenness. My falling short at times and doubts. But I I love that even though I am broken and crooked, God can still use a crooked stick to draw a straight line. God's promises will come to pass despite my sin. And even I can be used by him. I find that encouraging. But there's also a challenge here. And... uh, Uh, As I was preparing this passage this week, uh, I was reading uh, a commentary by Calvin, and what he says, he just articulates so well. I just want to read out to you. We ought to know that Zechariah was not so unbelieving as to turn aside wholly from the faith. For there is a general faith which embraces the promise of eternal salvation, On the one hand, when God has once received us into favour, he gives us many special promises that he will feed us, will deliver us from dangers, will vindicate our reputation, will protect our life. And so there is a special faith which answers particularly to each of these promises. Thus, it will sometimes happen 
that one who trusts in God for the pardon of his sins and for salvation will waver on some point, will be too much alarmed by the dread of death, too worried about daily food, or too anxious about his plans. Such was the unbelief of Zechariah. For while he held the root and foundation of faith, he hesitated on one point, whether God would give him a son. Now, Zechariah, he believed the angel was from God. He believed God would restore Israel. But he doubted that it could be done in a way that seemed impossible to him. It was like God was limited by earthly means instead of looking to God and his infinite power. And in doing that, he doesn't give God the glory. And we too, it can be the same for us in our lives. I know in my life, we look to Jesus and trust him for our salvation. That's the root, the core of our faith. But still at times, doubting the promises are his special promises to us not giving God the full glory that he deserves. Is this sometimes the case for you? If you think about your own life now, are there things in your life where you know you're not trusting the full promises of God? Areas where you're falling short? Are there areas in your life where you know the right thing you should do? You might need to confess about something, make a decision that's hard or could be costly. But from a worldly point of view, it seems impossible, too hard, of no use. When we know that all things are possible through God. Are there times in your life where you feel anxious about work, or finances, the future, our government, an anxiety that we don't take to God, we don't bring to him in prayer, we don't trust him for the answer. Are there times where you've fallen short in these areas? Is there a habit or an addiction that you've given up on trying to change? It seems too hard or or like it's impossible. But we know that God is at work and sanctifying us and regenerating us and he does change us. Have you fallen short in these areas? Are you trusting God when it comes to loving and forgiving your spouse, family, neighbours or even enemies? When God has loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us and he fills us with his love that now we can love others when it would seem impossible by the world's standards. Are there areas of your life that you need to repent of? Are there times where you've had a lapse? And if you're sitting here now and something has come to mind of an area, then I challenge you to look to God, to trust his promises. Nothing is impossible for him. Please read with me verse 23 to 25. 
When the time of his service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. God's promises were fulfilled. The people of Israel at this time were living in such a dark time. They'd been waiting for such a long time. But God is fulfilling his promises. The dawn which came before the, sun, before the sunrise, it was beautiful. It was exciting. John is here. But I want to say how much more so exciting is the sun itself when it rises. And that's going to be what we're going to be looking at in next week's passage. But I just want to whet your appetite about this. We saw here that God worked a miraculous sign in Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were beyond the age of having a child and he worked a miracle to give them a child. But next week, we will see something even more miraculous. A young lady who, not even married yet, has never been with a man, will fall pregnant, a virgin birth, even more amazing is what God is going to do. And John, he came to prepare the way for the Lord, to help turn people back to God. When Jesus comes, he is the Lord. He's the one who will make salvation possible for all who believe. John's coming, it's worth getting excited about. But Jesus' coming... That's even more exciting and amazing. And next week, we'll be hearing about that. But back to my original question at the start. How long should we wait? It was 400 years of silence for God's people in Zechariah's time. We've been waiting 2,000 years to see the final fulfilment of God's promise. When Jesus comes back, I want to finish in 2 Peter chapter 3. Please turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to start at verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And then I want to jump down to verse 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So how long have we been waiting? 2,000 years? Well, in God's time, we've been waiting only two days. God will fulfill his promises, 
Jesus will return. And that is something we can look forward to. We can have confidence in. Jesus died that we might have salvation. He rose again, showing he was the son of God and we can have eternal life. And we too now must wait for his return, but he will come. And it's not something that's an elephant in the room. No, it's addressed in the Bible. The reason he hasn't come back yet is because God's patient means salvation. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And one day, just like Zechariah had that marvellous experience when the angel came and said, now is the time for God's kingdom to come. So too, one day, God will fulfill the marvellous promises to us. And we look forward to that day. I want to close in prayer now. Father in heaven, please help us to trust you and your promises. When our world seems so dark at the moment, and when it can feel like we've been waiting for such a long time, help us to trust you. Help us to get excited about what you've done in John and Jesus and excited about what you will do. And I pray if there's areas in our life where we are, we are doubting you and not trusting you like we would, convict us of these things. Help us to fully trust in you. Change us, our hearts and our lives. And I just ask that Jesus would come back soon. Amen.